Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Ben as he teaches us from our Pray Like Paul series. Why should we pray? Week one of Pray Like Paul. I've titled the message, Why Should We Pray? And I'm going to give an overview. This is an overview of why we should pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that we're going to open up today. We're going to dive into the subject of, of prayer and why should we pray. And I pray that, that you would challenge us uh, in this area. I pray that you would birth something in our heart towards prayer. Many of us here today, maybe we've struggled with prayer, and prayer is not something that is a go-to for us. Maybe it seems to be so difficult or distant and hard, but I pray that today that you would awaken something in each one of our hearts that we would develop not only uh, a love for prayer, but we would develop a desire to just go deeper in our relationship with you through prayer. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So prayer. So prayer. We will consider over the next seven weeks the nature of prayer, the priorities of prayer. What should we pray for? And we will specifically look at, as I said, two sections in the Apostle Paul's prayer, first in Ephesians 1 and 3. But today, we're going to introduce and we'll answer, seek to answer this question, why should we pray? Why should we pray? So as our launching point, there's a text of scripture that I think we all kind of understand. We've read this text of scripture. If you've been in church for any length of time, um, it's, it's, it's the scene where Jesus goes into the temple in Jerusalem. And this, is, this section is after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he goes into the temple and he, and he drives out the money changers. But what had happened in Israel, what happened in Judaism, it was that the, the leaders of the nation of Israel that were tasked with leading the people of God towards God, they were leading the people of God away from God. And they were putting extra burdens on their shoulders that were too hard to bear. And them, and them themselves as the leaders, they were not willing to lift even one of their fingers to help the people they were called to lead. And they were pointing people away from God and pointing them to themselves. And they were taking from the people and extorting the people and stealing from the people. And what was happening is, is that is that they were taking the sacrificial system that God had established for the atonement of the sins of the nation, and they were using it for their enrichment. They were using it to get rich, and they were buying and selling the, the animals that needed to be sacrificed, and they were buying them at one price, a low price, and then they were raising a price and extorting money from their own people. They were profiting off of God's house. They were profiting and extorting off of what God had established. And so, so the Lord comes in, Christ comes in into the temple, and this is what happens. Look at Matthew 21, verses 12 through 13. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. My house shall be called a house of prayer, a house of prayer. So why should we pray? 
Why should we pray? We look at four reasons why we should always pray and never give up praying. Four reasons why we should always pray and never give up praying. The first one is this. Here's the first reason. Because God's word tells us to pray. God's word tells us to pray. My house shall be called a house of prayer. So, of course, Jesus is referencing the physical building, right? He's referencing the temple in Jerusalem. It had become a place of buying and selling and bribery and extortion. He's saying he's coming in to the physical temple and he's looking at at the lying and the stealing and the bribery and the extortion. And he's saying, this is not what it was intended for my house. My house shall be called a house of prayer. But that's Jerusalem. That's Israel. That's over 2,000 years ago. But where's the, where's the connection for us today? When you think about that scripture, we think about my house should be called a house of prayer. I think our minds, they, they gravitate towards this building. And we think, well, well, the Lord was talking about that temple in Jerusalem being a house of prayer. And then so we think about this building and we think about brick and mortar. We think about metal walls. And certainly we could say that this house, this sanctuary, this building is a house of God. Can we not? We, we call churches, what do we call them? Houses of of worship, of prayer, of, of worship, houses of worship, houses of, of prayer. But the question is, is what makes this the house of God? What makes this building what we would call the house of God? Is it, is it, is it the, the, the cross that's on the wall behind me? Is it, is it, is it the, the fact that, 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 that the pastors work here? And is it the fact that, 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 that we pray here? Is it, what, what makes this the house of God? I, I would argue that what makes this the house of God is you. You, you, you make this the house of God. If you remove people of God from this building and we never come back in here and do anything with the people of God in, in this building, this building could be sold and it could be used for a shopping center. And it would just be a building, a metal building with sheetrock walls and lights and air conditioning systems. And, and it's a building that a hurricane could come and destroy. It's just a building. But what makes it the house of God is the people of God. Are you tracking with me? What makes this physical building the house of God is the people of God. Remove the people and there's nothing sacred. Hear me. Remove the people and there's nothing sacred about this building. That's why. That's why, you know, hey, we get crayons on the wall from those kids. It's okay. It's, it's, it's just a building. We want to take care of what God's provided, but, but this is not a sacred place. What makes this the house of God and a sacred place is when we're here, is when we assemble. What makes it the house of God is us. It's the people. The people of God make up the house of God. Do you remember Stephen who was stoned? The apostle Stephen, he was stoned and he was taken to heaven, and Jesus, he saw Jesus, and he saw Jesus, the heavens were open, he saw Jesus standing up for him. Listen to what Stephen says in his prayer, in his speech, before he's stoned, Acts 7, 47 through 48, but it was Solomon, Stephen says, but it was Solomon who built a house for him, the temple. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Where does the Lord dwell now? Where does he dwell? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple 
of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. So I hope you're following me. I hope you're following the trail that I'm leading you on. Listen, the point is this. As believers, the Spirit of God lives within us. We are the temples of the living God. And as such, prayer should be our priority. For my house shall be called a house of prayer. Are you following that? We are the house of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, as a reality of that, his house should be a house of prayer. Prayer should be our priority. Why should we pray? Because God's word tells us we should pray. God's word tells us we should pray. Look at Romans, all of our scripture. Just look at a few. All of our scripture, believers are called to prioritize prayer. Look at Romans 12. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. First Thessalonians 5 says something similar. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What about Colossians chapter 4, verse 2? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Do you, do you, do you see this? That all over Scripture, there's just a few references. All over Scripture, we see that, the, that prayer should be the priority for the house of God, for the people of God. The people that house the Spirit of God, prayer should be their priority. And it wasn't just something that the Lord spoke to us. It's something that he modeled for us. Didn't Jesus model prayer? Here's a few references where he modeled prayer. Matthew 14, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray by himself. He often, Scripture said, would go by himself and pray. Luke 6, Jesus spent a whole night in prayer. How many of you spent more than five minutes in prayer? Jesus spent a night in prayer. Matthew 26, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, sit here while I go and pray. Matthew 26 later says that Jesus fell on his face and he prayed. Luke 22, Jesus tells Peter, I have prayed for you. Isn't that powerful? I have prayed for you. And then John 17, where we're going to get to in January, we're going to get to in January, John 17, Jesus prays for all disciples of every generation that they would be kept from the evil one. So, so prayer is the priority. Prayer should be the priority for the people of God. Prayer was a priority for Christ. And so why should we pray? Because God's word tells us to pray. And how should we pray? We should pray persistently. You remember the, the parable of the, of the persistent widow was a parable, an illustrative story that Jesus told. And there was a woman who went to a judge and she's seeking justice. And it says in the parable that she bothered him over and over again. And in the parable, in the illustrative story, uh, the, the, the judge says, because the lady's bothering me, I'm going to give in and give her justice. And Jesus is illustrating a point here. And here, look at Luke 18.1. And he told them, Jesus told them this parable, so that, or in the effect, to the effect, that they ought what? Always to pray and not lose heart. Always to pray and not lose heart. So why should we pray? Because God's word tells us to pray. You know, I've, 
heard it said, and this is, I think, there's reasons why we don't pray. There's reasons why we don't pray and we don't take time to pray. And and I've heard it said uh, that one of the greatest uses of social media will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. One of the great uses of social media would be to prove on that last day that prayerlessness was not because of a lack of time. Prayerlessness is because of a lack of right priority. Right? Man, it, I mean, that, that, this is me. This is you. This is all of us. I'm no more elevated than you in this. We're all, we all struggle with priority of time. Do we not? Persistence in prayer, not growing weary in prayer, praying because we know God's word tells us to pray, praying, persisting in prayer. George Mueller is a great example of persistence in prayer. George Mueller, the famous Christian missionary, in his diary, he he wrote this. Listen, in November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day. Without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, whatever the pressure of my engagements might be, 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the the other three, day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went up on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. And 36 years later, he wrote that the other two, sons of one of Mueller's friends, were still not converted. And this is what he wrote about it. He wrote about it. He said, but I hope in God, and I pray on, and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. They're not converted yet, but they will be. And history tells us in 1897, 52 years after he began to pray, these two men were finally converted after George Mueller died. And what was it that Mueller understood? Mueller understood that what Jesus meant when he told his disciples that they should always pray and not lose heart. That they should always pray and not lose heart. So why should we prioritize prayer as individuals and as, and as a church? Why? Because God's word tells us to. God's word tells us to. What's the second reason? Here's the second reason why we should we should pray, because secondly, prayer aligns our heart in humility before God. So firstly, we pray because God's word tells us to. There's many things God's word tells us to do, and we need to obey God's word, and we need to be persistent in prayer, not give up in prayer. But here's another reason why I think we should pray, because prayer aligns our heart in humility before God. 1 Peter 5 tells us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And prayer has a way of aligning our heart in humility before God. You know, by by nature, we are self-reliant. By nature, we think we can do things on our own. And by nature, because of that self-reliance and that sense of, of, of I can go on without God, I know what to do, I can go on with, with, without God, go on without him, then, then there's that sense of pride that is resonant within us because of that. And, and prayer po- postures us in a place where it, it humbles us and reminds us of our dependency on him and his presence. That if God doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. If God doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. But when we are prideful, we go without his presence. We go without his leading because we don't think we need his presence or his leading because of 
our prayerlessness because of our sense of that we know what to do and we're going to get it done. I was reminded when we were thinking and pondering about humility and prayer and self-reliance. I was reminded of the, of the nation of Israel, the, the people of God in, in, in Exodus. And they were delivered by, by God through God's servant Moses. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and they were stiff-necked, they were hard-hearted, and they complained. They wanted to go back to Egypt for the garlic and the onions, and, and, and they, they were longing, they were remembering, they were nostalgic, remembering the good old days when they, when they had good food to eat, and they didn't have the manna and the birds every day. And, 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 and Moses goes up to the mountain to talk to God, to Mount Sinai, to talk to God, and God is giving Moses the law of God. And while Moses was up there, the people got to Aaron and said, Hey, I don't know if Moses is going to come back, and, and we, we need something to worship here, and so we don't know what to do, but maybe let's, 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 let's build something to worship. And so Aaron said, okay, just take all your gold jewelry and let's put it together, and, and we'll, we'll make a calf that you can bow down and worship. And so they, they, they form a calf, and later when Moses found out and corrected them, Aaron said, well, we put all the gold in the fire, and out popped a calf. Amazing. So they're worshiping this calf, and God's angry because of the idolatry, and Moses is angry. And listen to Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. He won't even take ownership of Israel. He said, you brought him out. You take him out. And listen to this. Go to the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I will still keep my covenant to you because I'm a covenant-keeping God and I don't lie. You can go, but listen, listen. I will send an angel before you. I'll even protect you. I'll drive him out. But listen, go up to the land, but I will not go up, uh, uh, I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God tells Moses, get these people out of here. I will keep covenant with them because I made a promise, but I'm not going with them. The Lord's telling Moses, you can have the promise, but it will be without my presence. So what, what, what would we do? What would we do? Would we take the blessing? Would we take the blessings of God without having him? I mean, how many times do we pray for things? We, we, we pray for things. We pray for things. And then, and, then, and then we have a way to get things out from under God's blessing. Would we take it? Uh, from under God's ways, would we take it, right? You know, it's dangerously easy to fall into a pattern of, of just having successful church gatherings and programs without God's presence. It's dangerously easy to fall into a pattern of simply pulling off church services. It's easy uh, to successfully do things by worldly standards and not have God's presence and the people took things into their own hands. They took into their own hands. We want, we're going to create our own God. We, we, we are going to do it our way. And God, in essence, this is what he was telling his people. He's saying, if you think you can do this without me, then go ahead and take your golden calf with you. If you think you can do it without me, go ahead and take your golden calf with you. And from the beginning, this has been our pattern as humanity. We tried to do things apart from God in his presence. And, and this is what prayer does. Prayer aligns our heart in humility before the God that we are 100% dependent on. 
And it helps us fight against the tendency that God's people had in Exodus to do it their own way, to manufacture God's presence a different way. And God says, no, you you do it my way or you do it your way, but we can't do it both ways. You do it my way or your way, but we can't do it both. And if you don't do it my way, then you can go and do it your way, but you won't have my presence. If you don't want to humbly submit to me in prayer, then you can do it your way, right? Isn't that scary? Pride says this, I I don't need to pray because I know what to do. Pride says, I don't need to pray because I know what to do. Prayer says, I don't want to do anything without submitting it under the authority of God. Pride says, I don't need to pray because I already know what to do. Prayer says, I don't want to do anything without submitting it under the authority of God. It reminds me of James chapter 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Come now, all of you who say we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to go there and we're going to start this business and and we're going to trade and make a profit and we're going to buy that house and we're going to marry that person and and we're going to make this decision and come now, all you who say we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're going to go, we're going to accomplish, we're going to plow through, come now, all you who say that, what does the author, what does James say? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What does that mean if the Lord wills? It, it, it means what it means. How can we find out the will of the Lord? Obviously, we find out the will of the Lord through his word. We find out the will of the Lord through his word and through prayer. We submit to God in prayer. Over this weekend, I was talking to my friend, Pastor Paul Mason, who spoke at the elders' retreat and I'm driving back from Gulf Shores yesterday, and I'm working on my sermon in the back seat, and Pastor Paul's in the front, Pastor Bill's in the driver's seat, and so they're talking, and I'm walking on, working on my sermon, and if you know Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul's a great storyteller when he preaches, tells great stories, and so I said, hey, Pastor Paul, I said, you're a great storyteller. I said, how about you help me with an illustration of this point right here uh, about humility and prayer, and, and he said, okay. He thought about it for a minute. He said, you know what? I've got a good story for you. He said, there was a couple in my church who had multiple miscarriages. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed that God would provide, that God would give them a child. And it was years of of infertility and miscarriages. And then finally, they got pregnant, and finally, they had a child. And they posted it on Instagram like all good parents do, right? You post on Instagram the birth of your baby and you celebrate. And they gave praise to God on Instagram about the the provision that God gave them in a child. And Paul said, would you know it? They quit going to church anywhere. Not just just our church, but any church. They They just stopped. They stopped acknowledging God, and and it reminded me when he was telling that story, prayer aligns our heart in humility before God, and when we pray, it is an acknowledgement that God is our source, and when God provides, prayer is a reflection of that humility that acknowledges that without him, we're nothing, that it was God who provided for us. It was God who provided for us. And so the, the, the question to ponder 
under the second reason why we should pray is this, is, is do we live like we think we don't need God in his presence? And I, you know, I, I think we need to get practical when we think about that. Do we live like we think we don't need God in his presence? I think we often do. We do it in so many ways in which we just make so many decisions in our life, and we can be rash, and we can be just, just be so quick to do things without stopping and pausing. I mean, my wife will tell me that often, Ben, have we prayed about that? And my wife, God would use my wife to remind me, hey, it's time to pray. You need to stop. You need to pray because we're so, I, I can just do this. I know what I need, I need to do, but do we live like we don't need God in his presence? And, and listen, when God provides in response to our prayers, do we humbly acknowledge his goodness? When we do humble ourselves in prayer, when our heart is aligned in humility because we're praying before God, and we're not presumptuous and we just come before him, do we acknowledge God in humility? when he answers our prayer. So why should we pray? What have we learned so far? Why, why should we pray? You, you can talk back to me. What's the first reason? So he told us to. Secondly, why should we pray? You can look at your hand now. Because prayer aligns our heart in humility before God. What's, what's another reason why we should pray? Number three, because life is hard and the devil is real. That's why we should pray. I love what John Piper said. He said, you will not know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. You will not know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. Life is hard. Life is full of challenges and trials and ups and downs because we live in a world that is broken, stained by the effects of sin, and we desperately need to cling to our God in prayer. You know, the Apostle Paul, I come back to this section so often in Romans 8, but I think it's such a, a great way to, to, for us to see this. You know, Romans 8 describes the world's broken, creation's broken, we are broken, and there's this groaning. Creation itself groans, longing for redemption, and we groan. Look at Romans 8, 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And I think that it's so true that as believers, listen, we live under under a steady, that we live with a steady under the surface recognition that we desperately need God in our society today. Once you have that sense in your life, when you turn on the news, when you do look at social media, and you see the conversations that are being had in our society, when you, yesterday, who's ever heard of the show Pink, Pinkalicious? Oh, yeah, I know all the, all the girl parents. You've heard of Pinkalicious. Never ever heard of Pinkalicious? Pinkalicious, PBS Kids, Public Broadcasting, Public Broadcasting Services, PBS. Pinkalicious. And my little ones were watching Pinkalicious yesterday, and one of them caught it. And they came and brought the device they're watching Pinkalicious on. And there was a man next to another man, and they introduced themselves to the kids, and they said, I'm so-and-so, and here's my husband, so-and-so, and they held hands. And so when you see things like that, what does it do? It causes you to live with an under-the-surface sense and knowing and groaning that this is not right. This is not right. You can't even, you, 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 you cannot, and listen, this is a warning for all of us, we cannot assume anything about content that's available for us to watch, kids or adults. 
must be, we must be on guard and watchful. And there's just a sense of groaning within us that our world is broken. You look at Israel. Well, right now over 300 people were killed in Israel because of the terrorist group that has bombed them. It's that sense of groaning. Psalms 122, it's not going to be on your side, but listen to Psalms 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace within your walls and security within your towers. For our brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. We're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why Scott, Pastor Scott prayed for Israel today. Right? But it's under the surface. You feel that brokenness. Life is hard. Life is broken. We're stained by sin, wars, and rumors of wars. But So this is why we should pray. This is why we should pray even more because life is hard. But secondly, the devil is real. And we should not be ignorant of his schemes. He's going to get his lies into Pinkalicious to, to brainwash our kids to deny the reality of Genesis and, our, and of our creation as man and woman and, and marriage between one man and one woman. The devil is a pernicious liar. And I want to tell you, there are even so-called pastors in our world today. They're, they're going to tell you that homosexuality is not a sin before God. And that you can, you can be a Christian and be married to the same gender. There's one of them out there. His name is Andy Stanley. So, debated whether I was going to tell you that. I don't like to say that about pastors' names. But that's the newest thing with him. So if, I just want to warn you as your pastor, the devil work, will work through Pinkalicious or her work through Andy Stanley. When we deny the word of God through Pinkalicious or Andy Stanley, it's a lie on both sides. If you want to know more information, if you want to know more information, you come talk to me afterwards. I'll bring clarity to you. But some of you probably already know. We should not be ignorant of his schemes. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. This is why we should pray. Life is hard and the devil is real. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist him. You know, I thought about, thought about this and... I think, I think one illustration of this, a biblical illustration of resisting and persevering in prayer and praying for, praying for God's people and praying for righteousness, it, it was remind, I'm reminded of Daniel. Do you remember Daniel? In the book of Daniel, he was, he was in exile. The nation of Israel was in exile for 70 years in Babylon. And, and Daniel, as we're going to look at Daniel 10 for a second, before Daniel 10, Daniel prayed. He would not bow, and Daniel continued to pray. He only would only bow before the one true God, and because of it, he was thrown into a den of lions, and God rescued Daniel from the den of lions. And then he came under the rule of another king. Listen to Daniel 10. Daniel is praying for his people who are in exile in Babylon. Daniel 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. Daniel set to pray for, 20, for 24 days. 24 days he set to pray. 
O Daniel, man greatly loved, stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And, And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. For 24 days, Daniel was persevering in prayer for the people of God who were in exile because of their rebellion against God. They were in exile in Babylon, but Daniel was interceding and listening in the midst of darkness, Daniel prayed. When he could have felt like God wasn't listening, he kept praying and listened to what God tells him. For from the first day you set your heart to humble yourself, your words were heard. Humility before God in prayer. A recognition that that life is hard and the devil is real. We must persevere in prayer. We must persevere in prayer. We must not lose heart. We must not give up in prayer. We must pray because there are evil forces at work in our day to disrupt our lives, to destroy our lives, and to destroy the lives of all of those who would reject Christ. Spiritual warfare, my brothers and sisters, it's real. And we must pray. There's been many times throughout history where great men and women would rise up and stand for righteousness and justice in in our world. They would stand for the word of God and for righteousness, and the enemy would attack them, but they would make righteous stands on what the word of God says about issues. And they would come under attack. One of them was a man, many of you maybe heard of him, a young man named William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was used by God, to, but used by God to lead a charge towards the abolition of slavery in, in, in England, and he fought the fight. He was under intense battle because of the slave trade, and he's, his recognition that slavery does not align with what God's word says about the dignity of every human being. Amen. And listen, young William Wilberforce was discouraged one night in the early 1790s after another defeat in his 10-year battle against slavery in, in England. He was tired, he was frustrated, and he opened his Bible one day. He was alone in his room. He opened his Bible and out fell a letter that he didn't remember. He'd forgotten about. Out fell a letter, and the Lord used it to remind him and encourage him. It was a letter from, written by John Wesley shortly before John Wesley's death. And he wrote to William, quote, he says this to William, Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery which is the scandal of religion of England and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. And they won. And they won. Through William Wilberforce, the slave trade was exposed and disbanded. And he persevered, but it was a fight. It was a battle. Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the, against the schemes of the devil. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Amen? So why do we pray? Because God's word tells us to. Because prayer aligns our heart and humility before him. Because life is hard and devil is real, we need to pray. And lastly, why pray? Why should we pray? Because God can do more in five seconds than we can do in five years. Because God can do more in a moment than we could do in a lifetime. That's why we pray. Dio Moody famously said, bring your life to God. He can do more with it than you can. Bring your life to God. He can do more with it than you can. And when we pray, we are connecting our lives and our situations to the limitless power of God. When we fail to bring our request to God, we are choosing to try and handle everything on our own. You know what prayerlessness is? Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. It's our declaration of independence from God. So we must pray. We must pray because God can do more. He can do more than we could ever think or imagine. God is able to do more. Power in prayer is not centered around our ability to make things happen, but power in prayer is centered around us surrendering our will to God's will because he's able to do more. God's power is released in prayer when we submit our desires and our plans in exchange for his. You know, Jesus demonstrated that for us, didn't he? Remember, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating drops of blood. He's in agony and pain over what he's about to have to do and walk through. What does he say? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. God's power is released through our submission to his will and his ability. You know, I think about, think about who our God is. We often struggle to come to him with the challenges that we face because sometimes we think that he, he doesn't care. Or he's so distant and he's allowed things to happen and, and we can get all mixed up in our thinking and our emotions and so we don't come before God in prayer. But I think Matthew 7 reminds us of something. Listen to this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks will be open. Or which of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, often I think those of us who, who like to believe we have right doctrine, sometimes we, we miss out on the power of prayer. Some of us who, who feel like I've got, I've got all my boxes checked. I mean, I, I understand God, I understand justification, sanctification, glorification, and I've got all these things all figured out, and I've got God figured out, and and, and I know God is sovereign and God allows and God does this and that. But we often, if we, we can sometimes pinhole ourselves in the position of forgetting that God can do anything. We pinhole ourselves in the position of believing 
that God, that, that God doesn't want us to pray. We just have to submit to his will and whatever happens, happens, que sera, sera. No, the scripture is too full of admonitions for us as Christians. It calls us to seek him in prayer, to humbly align our hearts in humility before him, to persist in prayer and to plead with him because he is a father, a good father, who if we ask for a fish will not give us a serpent. Now, we may not always get what we ask for. And no, God may not always heal in the way in which we want him or think he should heal. And yes, loved ones will die because God may have a different plan. But may we never let our right theology about suffering and pain push us into a corner where we don't plead with God to move in our situations and to plead and to ask, why? Why? Because he's able. We'll look at this later in this series, but Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. Now to him who is able. God can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. To him who is able. So we come to a God in prayer who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Do you believe that today? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. (laughs) Lord, I believe. I know. I know. Let's talk real life. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I know you can do the impossible, but but Lord, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard. The situation I'm facing is hard. And I've been praying. I'm that, I'm that persistent widow. I'm knocking and I'm knocking and I'm knocking and I'm knocking. But you got, just got to keep knocking. You just keep knocking. You knock with a sense of surrender to God and to his will. And God will not give you a stone instead of bread. He will not give you a serpent instead of fish. And prayer is that sense of surrender. And so we say, God, I know you're able, and we're going to come to you in prayer. But prayer, prayer is that sense of open-handedness. And we say, God, we, are, we know you can do anything, and we're submitting this to you. We're, we're asking you to move, but we are open-handed. And whatever comes from your hand, we know it will be good. And we know it will be the best. But we're going to come to you. We're going to continue to knock on that door. So may we not give up in prayer no matter the darkness around us, in spite of the circumstances we see, and even if it feels like God will never answer, may we never stop praying. May we never give up. Why? Because God's word commands us to pray. Because God can do more in a moment than we can accomplish in a lifetime. So I want to end with this, some questions for you. What are you you praying about today? What are you praying about today? All of you, all of you, all, all of you that are in this room, what are you praying about today? I know we all have prayer needs. What are you praying about? I'm, I'm, I'm praying for my kids, that they would live the faith that we are passing on to them. I'm praying for this church, that this church would be filled with men and women of God who are growing in Christ's likeness. I'm praying for our community, that men and women that don't know the Lord, young and old, would be born again 
for the glory of God. I'm, I'm praying for the nations, praying for Kenya, that my brother, Pastor Moses, would go back with power and might and fill with the Spirit to accomplish the call that God's given him. What are you praying for? I'm praying for my marriage, that I would love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm praying that God would do his work in me. I'm praying that I would be more Christ-like. I'm praying that I would deny the flesh and respond to Christ. I would reject what is evil and turn to what is good. I'm praying. What are you praying for? I'm, I'm praying for Brandy Verdan, who's battling cancer in our church. I'm praying that God would heal her. I'm praying that she would not give up the fight. I told her this morning as we were in the foyer, I said, don't quit fighting. Don't give up. What are you praying for? What, what family member, what situation, what burden on your heart are you praying for? Don't stop. Don't give up. Persevere. Continue to pray. Why? Because our God is able. Because our God is able.